reflect. 3. The foregoing account of Mr. Brainerd's life may afford matter of conviction, that there is indeed such a thing as true experimental religion, arising from immediate divine influences, supernaturally enlightening and convincing the mind, and powerfully impressing, quickening, sanctifying, and governing the heart. Which religion is indeed an amiable thing, of happy tendency, and of no hurtful consequence to human society. Notwithstanding there having been so many pretenses and appearances of what is called experimental, vital religion, that have proved to be nothing but vain, pernicious enthusiasm. If any insist, that Mr. Brainerd's religion was enthusiasm, and nothing but a strange heat and blind fervor of mind, arising from strong fancies, etc. I would ask, what were the fruits of his enthusiasm? And then we behold the great degree of honesty and simplicity, sincere and earnest desires and endeavors to know and do whatever is right, and to avoid everything that is wrong. A high degree of love to God, delight in the perfections of His nature, placing the happiness of life in Him. Not only in contemplating Him, but in being active and pleasing and serving Him. A firm and undoubting belief in the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, the great prophet of God and King of God's Church. Together with great love to Him, delight and complacence in the way of salvation by Him, and longing for the enlargement of His Kingdom. Earnest desires that God may be glorified and the Messiah's Kingdom advanced, whatever instruments are employed. Uncommon resignation to the will of God, and that under vast trials. Great and universal benevolence to mankind, reaching all sorts of persons without distinction, manifested in sweetness of speech and behavior, kind treatment, mercy, liberality, and earnest seeking the good of the souls and bodies of men and all this we behold attended with extraordinary humility, meekness, forgiveness of injuries, and love to enemies, and a great abhorrence of a contrary spirit and practice, not only as appearing in others, but wherein soever it had appeared in himself, causing the most bitter repentance, and brokenness of heart on account of any past instances of such a conduct in him we see a modest, discreet, and decent deportment, among superiors, inferiors, and equals. A most diligent improvement of time, and earnest care to lose no part of it. Great watchfulness against all sorts of sin, of heart, speech, and action. And this example and these endeavors we see attended with most happy fruits, and blessed effects on others, in humanizing, civilizing, and wonderfully reforming and transforming some of the most brutish savages. Idle, immoral, drunkards, murderers, gross idolaters, and wizards. Bringing them to permanent sobriety, diligence, devotion, honesty, conscientiousness, and charity. And the foregoing amiable virtues and successful labors, all end at last in a marvelous peace, a movable stability, calmness, and resignation, in the sensible approaches of death with longing for the heavenly state, not only for the honors and circumstantial advantages of it, but above all for the moral perfection, and holy and blessed employments of it. And these things are seen in a person indisputably of good understanding and judgment. I therefore say, if all these things are the fruits of enthusiasm, why should not enthusiasm be thought a desirable and excellent thing? For what can true religion, what can the best philosophy, do more? If vapors and whimsy will bring men to the most thorough virtue, to the most benign and fruitful morality, and will maintain it through a course of life attended with many trials, without affectation or self-exaltation, and with an earnest, constant testimony against the wildness, the extravagances, the bitter zeal, assuming behavior, and separating spirit of enthusiasts, and will do all this more effectually, than anything else has ever done in any plain known instance that can be produced. What cause then has the world to prize and pray for this blessed whimsicalness, and these benign vapors? It would perhaps be a prejudice with some against the whole of M. R. Brainerd's religion, if it had begun in the time of the late religious commotion. Being ready to conclude, however unreasonable, that nothing good could take its rise from those times. But it was not so. His conversion was before those times, in a time of general deadness. And therefore at a season when it was impossible that he should receive a taint from any corrupt notions, examples, or customs, that had birth in those times. And whereas there are many who are not professed opposers of what is called experimental religion, 
who yet doubt of the reality of it, from the bad lives of some professors, and are ready to determine that there is nothing in all the talk about being born again, being emptied of self, brought to a saving close with Christ, etc. Because many that pretend to these things, and are thought by others to have been the subjects of them, manifest no abiding alteration in their moral disposition and behavior, are as careless, carnal, covetous, etc. as ever. Yea, some much worse than ever it is to be acknowledged and lamented, that this is the case with some. But by the preceding account they may be sensible, that it is not so with all. There are some indisputable instances of such a change, as the scripture speaks of. An abiding great change, a renovation of the spirit of the mind, and a walking in newness of life. In the foregoing instance particularly, they may see the abiding influence of such a work of conversion, as they have heard of from the word of God. The fruits of such experiences through a course of years. Under a great variety of circumstances, many changes of state, place, and company. And may see the blessed issue and event of it in life and death. Reflect. For the preceding history serves to confirm those doctrine usually called the doctrine of grace. For if it be allowed that there is truth, substance, or value in the main of Mr. Brainerd's religion, it will undoubtedly follow, that those doctrine are divine since it is evident, that the whole of it, from beginning to end, is according to that scheme of things. All built on those apprehensions, notions, and views, that are produced and established in the mind by those doctrine. He was brought by doctrine of this kind to his awakening, and deep concern about things of a spiritual and eternal nature. And by these doctrine his convictions were maintained and carried on. And his conversion was evidently altogether agreeable to the scheme, but by no means agreeing with the contrary, and utterly inconsistent with the Armenian notion of conversion or repentance. His conversion was plainly founded in a clear strong conviction, and undoubting persuasion of the truth of those things appertaining to these doctrine, against which Armenians most object, and about which his own mind had contended most. His conversion was no confirming and perfecting of moral principles and habits, by use and practice, and industrious discipline, together with the concurring suggestions and conspiring aids of God's Spirit. But entirely a supernatural work, at once turning him from darkness to marvelous light, and from the power of sin to the dominion of divine and holy principles. It was in effect, in no regard produced by his strength or labor, or obtained by his virtue. And not accomplished till he was first brought to a full conviction, that all his own virtue, strength, labors, and endeavors, could never avail anything towards producing or procuring this effect. A very little while before, his mind was full of the same cavils against the doctrine of God's sovereign grace which are made by Armenians, and his heart full even of opposition to them. And God was pleased to perform this good work in him, just after a full end had been put to this cavilling and opposition. After he was entirely convinced, that he was dead in sin, and was in the hands of God, as the absolutely sovereign, unobliged, sole disposer and author of true holiness. God showing him mercy at such a time, is a confirmation, that this was a preparation for mercy and consequently, that these things which he was convinced of, were true. While he opposed, he was the subject of no such mercy. Though he so earnestly sought it, and prayed for it with so much care, and strictness in religion but when once his opposition is fully subdued, and he is brought to submit to the truths, which he before had opposed, with full conviction, then the mercy he sought for is granted, with abundant light, great evidence, and exceeding joy and he reaps the sweet fruit of it all his life after it, and in the valley of the shadow of death. In his conversion, he was brought to see the glory of that way of salvation by Christ, that is taught in what are called the doctrine of grace. And thenceforward, with unspeakable joy and complacence, to embrace and acquiesce in that way of salvation. He was, in his conversion, in all respects, brought to those views, and that state of mind, which these doctrines show to be necessary. And if his conversion was any real conversion, or anything besides a mere whim, and if the religion of his life was anything else but a series of freaks of a whimsical mind, then this one grand principle, on which depends the whole difference between Calvinists and Armenians, is undeniable, namely that the grace or virtue of truly good men not only differs from the virtue of others in degree, but even in nature and kind.
If ever M.R. Brainerd was truly turned from sin to God at all, or ever became truly religious, none can reasonably doubt but that his conversion was at the time when he supposed it to be the change he then experienced, was evidently the greatest moral change that ever he passed under. And he was then apparently first brought to that kind of religion, that remarkable new habit and temper of mind, which he held all his life after. The narration shows it to be different, in nature and kind, from all that ever he was the subject of before. It was evidently wrought at once, without fitting and preparing his mind, by gradually convincing it more and more of the same truths, and bringing it nearer and nearer to such a temper. For it was soon after his mind had been remarkably full of blasphemy, and a vehement exercise of sensible enmity against God, and great opposition to those truths which he was now brought with his whole soul to embrace, and rest in as divine and glorious truths, in the contemplation and improvement of which, he placed his happiness. And he himself who was surely best able to judge declares, that the dispositions and affections which were then given him, and thenceforward maintained in him, were, most sensibly and certainly, perfectly different in their nature from all that ever he was the subject of before, or of which he had ever had any conception. In this he was peremptory, even to his death. He must be looked upon as capable of judging. He had opportunity to know he had practiced a great deal of religion before, was exceeding strict and conscientious, and had continued so for a long time. Had various religious affections, with which he often flattered himself, and sometimes pleased himself as being now in a good estate. And after he had those new experiences, that began in his conversion, they were continued to the end of his life long enough for him thoroughly to observe their nature, and compare them with what had been before. Doubtless he was compass mentis, and was at least one of so good an understanding and judgment, as to be pretty well capable of discerning and comparing the things that passed in his own mind. It is further observable, that his religion all along operated in such a manner as tended to confirm his mind in the doctrine of God's absolute sovereignty, man's universal and entire dependence on God's power and grace etc. The more his religion prevailed in his heart, and the fuller he was of divine love, and of clear and delightful views of spiritual things, and the more his heart was engaged in God's service. The more sensible he was of the certainty and the excellency and importance of these truths, and the more he was affected with them, and rejoiced in them. And he declares particularly, that when he lay for a long while on the verge of the eternal world, often expecting to be in that world in a few minutes, yet at the same time enjoying great serenity of mind, and clearness of thought, and being most apparently in a peculiar manner at a distance from an enthusiastical frame, he at that time saw clearly the truth of those great doctrine of the gospel, which are justly styled the doctrine of grace, and never felt himself so capable of demonstrating the truth of them. So that it is very evident, Mr. Brainerd's religion was wholly correspondent to what is called the Calvinistical scheme, and was the effect of those doctrine applied to his heart and certainly it cannot be denied, that the effect was good, unless we turn atheists, or deists. I would ask, whether there be any such thing, in reality, as Christian devotion? If there be, what is it? What is its nature? And what its just measure? Should it not be in a great degree? We read abundantly in scripture of loving God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the mind, and with all the strength. Of delighting in God, of rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The soul magnifying the Lord, thirsting for God, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. The soul breaking for the longing it hath to God's judgments, praying to God with groanings that cannot be uttered mourning for sin with a broken heart and contrite spirit, etc. How full is the book of Psalms, and other parts of scripture, of such things as these. Now wherein do these things, as expressed by an appearing in Mr. Brainerd, either the things themselves, or their effects and fruits, differ from the scripture representations? These things he was brought to by that strange and wonderful transformation of the man, which he called his conversion. And do not these well agree with what is so often said in the Old Testament and the New, concerning the giving of a new heart, creating a right spirit, a being renewed in the spirit of the mind, a being sanctified throughout, becoming a new creature? Etc. Now where is there to be found an Armenian conversion or repentance, 
consisting in so great and admirable a change. Can the Armenians produce an instance, within this age, and so plainly within our reach and view, of such a reformation, such a transformation of a man, to scriptural devotion, heavenly mindedness, and true Christian morality, in one that before lived without these things, on the foot of their principles, and through the influence of their doctrine? And here is worthy to be considered the effect of Calvinistical doctrine as they are called not only on Mr. Brainerd himself, but also on others, whom he taught. It is abundantly pretended and asserted of late, that these doctrine tend to undermine the very foundations of all religion and morality, and to enerve and vacate all reasonable motives to the exercise and practice of them, and lay invincible stumbling blocks before infidels, to hinder their embracing Christianity and that the contrary doctrine are the fruitful principles of virtue and goodness, set religion on its right basis, represent it in an amiable light, give its motives their full force, and recommend it to the reason and common sense of mankind. But where can they find an instance of so great and signal an effect of their doctrine, in bringing infidels, who are at such a distance from all that is civil, sober, rational, and Christian, and so full of inveterate prejudices against these things? to such a degree of humanity, civility, exercise of reason, self-denial, and Christian virtue. Armenians place religion in morality let them bring an instance of their doctrine producing such a transformation of a people in point of morality. It is strange, if the all-wise God so orders things in his providence, that reasonable and proper means, and his own means, which he himself has appointed, should in no known remarkable instance be instrumental to produce so good an effect an effect so agreeable to his own word and mind, and that very effect for which he appointed these excellent means. That they should not be so successful, as those means which are not his own, but very contrary to them, and of a contrary tendency. Means that are in themselves very absurd, and tend to root all religion and virtue out of the world, to promote and establish infidelity, and to lay an insuperable stumbling block before pagans, to hinder their embracing the gospel I say. If this be the true state of the case, it is certainly wonderful, and an event worthy of some attention. I know, that many will be ready to say, it is too soon yet to glory in the work, that has been wrought among Mr. Brainerd's Indians. It is best to wait and see the final event. It may be, all will come to nothing by and by. To which I answer, not to insist, that it will not follow, according to Armenian principles, they are not now true Christians really pious and godly, though they should fall away and come to nothing, that I never supposed every one of those Indians, who in profession renounced their heathenism and visibly embraced Christianity, and have had some appearance of piety, will finally prove true converts. If two-thirds, or indeed one-half of them as great a proportion as there is in the parable of the ten virgins should persevere, it will be sufficient to show the work wrought among them to have been truly admirable and glorious. But so much of permanence of their religion has already appeared, as shows it to be something else besides an Indian humor or good mood, or any transient effect in the conceits, notions, and affections of these ignorant people, excited at a particular turn, by artful management. For it is now more than three years ago, that this work began among them, and a remarkable change appeared in many of them. Since which time the number of visible converts has greatly increased and by repeated accounts, from several hands, they still generally persevere in diligent religion and strict virtue. I think a letter from a young gentleman, a candidate for the ministry, one of those before mentioned, appointed by the honorable commissioners in Boston, as missionaries to the heathen of the six nations, so called, worthy of insertion here. He, by their order, dwelt with Mr. John Brainerd among these Christian Indians, in order to their being prepared for the business of their mission. The letter was written from Nance, to his parents here in Northampton, and is as follows Bethel, in New Jersey, January 14, 1748. Honored and dear parents, after a long and uncomfortable journey, by reason of bad weather, I arrived at Mr. Brainerd's the sixth instant, where I designed to stay this winter and as yet, upon many accounts, am well satisfied with my coming hither. The state and circumstances of the Indians, spiritual and temporal, much exceed what I expected. I have endeavored to acquaint myself with the state of the Indians in general, with particular persons, and with the school, as much as the short time I had been here would admit of. 
and notwithstanding my expectations were very much raised, from Mr. David Brainerd's journal, and from particular informations from him. Yet I must confess, that in many respects they are not equal to that which now appears to me to be true, concerning the glorious work of divine grace amongst the Indians. The evening after I came to town, I had opportunity to see the Indians together, whilst the Reverend Mr. Arthur preached to them at which time there appeared a very general and uncommon seriousness and solemnity in the congregation and this appeared to me to be the effect of an inward sense of the importance of divine truths, and not because they were hearing a stranger. Which was abundantly confirmed to me the next Sabbath, when there was the same devout attendance on divine service, and a surprising solemnity appearing in the performance of each part of divine worship. And some, who are hopefully true Christians, appear to have been at that time much enlivened and comforted. Not from any observable commotions then, but from conversation afterwards and others seem to be under pressing concern for their souls. I have endeavored to acquaint myself with particular persons, many of whom seem to be very humble and growing Christians. Although some of them as I am informed were before their conversion most monstrously wicked. Religious conversation seems to be very pleasing and delightful to many, and especially that which relates to the exercises of the heart. And many here do not seem to be real Christians only, but growing Christians also. As well in doctrinal as experimental knowledge. Besides my conversation with particular persons, I have had opportunity to attend upon one of Mr. Brainerd's catechetical lectures, where I was surprised at their readiness in answering questions to which they had not been used. Although Mr. Brainerd complained much of their uncommon deficiency, it is surprising to see this people, who not long since were led captive by Satan at his will, and living in the practice of all manner of abominations, without the least sense even of moral honesty, yet now living soberly and regularly, and not seeking every man his own, but every man, in some sense, his neighbor's good. And to see those, who but a little while past knew nothing of the true God, now worshipping him in a solemn and devout manner. Not only in public, but in their families and in secret. Which is manifestly the case, it being a difficult thing to walk out in the woods in the morning, without disturbing persons at their secret devotion and it seems wonderful that this should be the case, not only with adult persons, but with children also. It is observable here, that many children if not the children in general retire into secret places to pray. And, as far as at present I can judge, this is not the effect of custom and fashion, but of real seriousness and thoughtfulness about their souls. I have frequently gone into the school, and have spent considerable time there amongst the children. And may have been surprised to see, not only their diligent attendance upon the business of the school, but also the proficiency they have made in it, in reading and writing and in their catechisms of divers sorts. It seems to be as pleasing and as natural to these children, to have their books in their hands, as it does for many others to be at play. I have gone into a house where there has been a number of children accidentally gathered together, and observed, that everyone had his book in his hand, and was diligently studying it about thirty of these children can answer to all the questions in the assembly's catechism. And the greater part of them are able to do it with the proofs, to the fourth commandment. I wish there were many such schools. I confess, that I never was acquainted with such an one, in many respects. Oh that what God has done here, may prove to be the beginning of a far more glorious and extensive work of grace among the heathen. I am your obedient and dutiful son, Job Strong. P. S. Since the date of this, I have had opportunity to attend upon another of Mr. Brainerd's catechetical lectures and truly I was convinced, that Mr. Brainerd did not complain before of his people's defects in answering to questions proposed, without reason for although their answers at that time exceeded my expectations very much. Yet their performances at this lecture very much exceeded them. Since this we have had accounts from time to time, and some very late, which show that religion still continues in prosperous and most desirable circumstances among these Indians reflect. 5. Is there not much in the preceding memoirs of Mr. Brainerd to teach, and excite to duty, us who are called to the work of the ministry, and all that are candidates for that great work? What a deep sense did he seem to have of the greatness and importance of that work, and with what weight did it lie on his mind? 
How sensible was he of his own insufficiency for this work? And how great was his dependence on God's sufficiency? How solicitous, that he might be fitted for it? And to this end, how much time did he spend in prayer and fasting, as well as reading and meditation? Giving himself to these things. How did he dedicate his whole life, all his powers and talents, to God? And forsake and renounce the world, with all its pleasing and ensnaring enjoyments, that he might be wholly at liberty to serve Christ in this work? and to please him who had chosen him to be a soldier, under the captain of our salvation. With what solicitude, solemnity, and diligence did he devote himself to God our Savior, and seek his presence and blessing in secret, at the time of his ordination. And how did his whole heart appear to be constantly engaged, his whole time employed, and his whole strength spent, in the business he then solemnly undertook, and to which he was publicly set apart and his history shows us the right way to success in the work of the ministry. He sought it as a resolute soldier seeks victory in a siege or battle, or as a man that runs a race, for a great prize. Animated with love to Christ and souls, how did he labor always fervently, not only in word and doctrine, in public and private, but in prayers day and night, wrestling with God in secret, and travailing in birth, with unutterable groans and agonies until Christ were formed in the heart of the people to whom he was sent. How did he thirst for a blessing on his ministry? And watch for souls, as one that must give account. How did he go forth in the strength of the Lord God? Seeking and depending on a special influence of the Spirit to assist and succeed him. And what was the happy fruit at last, though after long waiting, and many dark and discouraging appearances? Like a true son of Jacob, he persevered in wrestling, through all the darkness of the night, until the breaking of the day. At his example of laboring, praying, denying himself, and enduring hardness, with unfainting resolution and patience, and his faithful, vigilant, and prudent conduct in many other respects, which it would be too long now particularly to recite, may afford instruction to missionaries in particular. Reflect. 6. The foregoing account of Mr. Brainerd's life may afford instruction to Christians in general. As it shows, in many respects, the right way of practicing religion, in order to obtain the ends and receive the benefits of it. Or how Christians should run the race set before them, if they would not run in vain, or run as uncertainly, but would honor God in the world, adorn their profession, be serviceable to mankind, have the comforts of religion while they live be free from disquieting doubts and dark apprehensions about the state of their souls, enjoy peace in the approaches of death, and finish their course with joy in general, he much recommended, for this purpose, the redemption of time, great diligence in the business of the Christian life, watchfulness, etc. And he very remarkably exemplified these things. But particularly, his example and success with regard to one duty, in an especial manner, may be of great use to both ministers and private Christians. I mean the duty of secret fasting. The reader has seen how much Mr. Brainerd recommends this duty, and how frequently he exercised himself in it. Nor can it well have escaped observation how much he was owned and blessed in it, and of what great benefit it evidently was to his soul. Among all the many days he spent in secret fasting and prayer, that he gives an account of in his diary, there is scarce an instance of one, but what was either attended or soon followed with apparent success, and a remarkable blessing, in special incomes and consolations of God's Spirit and very often, before the day was ended. But it must be observed, that when he set about this duty, he did it in good earnest. Stirring up himself to take hold of God, and continuing instant in prayer, with much of the Spirit of Jacob, who said to the angel, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. Reflect. 7. There is much in the preceding account to excite and encourage God's people to earnest prayers and endeavors for the advancement and enlargement of the kingdom of Christ in the world. Mr. Brainerd set us an excellent example in this respect. He sought the prosperity of Zion with all his might. He preferred Jerusalem above his chief joy. How did his soul long for it, and pant after it? And how earnestly and often did he wrestle with God for it? And how far did he, in these desires and prayers, seem to be carried beyond all private and selfish views? Being animated by a pure love to Christ, 
an earnest desire of his glory, and the disinterested affections of the souls of mankind. The consideration of this not only ought to be an incitement to the people of God, but may also be a just encouragement to them to be much in seeking and praying for a general outpouring of the Spirit of God, an extensive revival of religion. I confess that God giving so much of a spirit of prayer for this mercy to so eminent a servant of his, and exciting him in so extraordinary a manner, and with such vehement thirstings of soul, to agonize in prayer for it from time to time, through the course of his life, is one thing, among others, which gives me great hope, that God has a design of accomplishing something very glorious for the interest of his church before long. One such instance as this, I conceive, gives more encouragement, than the common, cold, formal prayers of thousands. As Mr. Brainerd's desires and prayers for the coming of Christ's kingdom, were very special and extraordinary. So, I think, we may reasonably hope, that the God who excited those desires and prayers, will answer them with something special and extraordinary. And in a particular manner do I think it worthy of notice for our encouragement, that he had his heart as he declared unusually drawn out in longings and prayers for the flourishing of Christ's kingdom on earth, when he was in the approaches of death. And that with his dying breath he breathed out his departing soul into the bosom of his Redeemer, in prayers and pattings after this glorious event. Expiring in very great hope, that it would soon begin to be fulfilled. And I wish, that the thoughts which he in his dying state expressed of that explicit agreement, and visible union of God's people, an extraordinary prayer for a general revival of religion, lately proposed in a memorial from Scotland, which has been dispersed among us, may be well considered by those that hitherto have not seen fit to fall in with the proposal. But I forbear to say any more on this head, having already largely published my thoughts upon it, in a discourse written on purpose to promote that affair. Which, I confess, I wish that every one of my readers might be supplied with. Not that my honor, but that this excellent design, might be promoted. As there is much in Mr. Brainerd's life to encourage Christians to seek the advancement of Christ's kingdom, in general. So there is, in particular, to pray for the conversion of the Indians on this continent, and to exert themselves in the use of proper means for its accomplishment. For it appears, that he in his unutterable longings and wrestlings of soul for the flourishing of religion, had his mind peculiarly intent on the conversion and salvation of these people, and his heart more especially engaged in prayer for them. And if we consider the degree and manner in which he, from time to time, sought and hoped for an extensive work of grace among them, I think we have reason to hope, that the wonderful things which God wrought among them by him, are but a forerunner of something yet much more glorious and extensive of that kind. And this may justly be an encouragement to well-disposed, charitable persons, to honor the Lord with their substance, by contributing, as they are able, to promote the spreading of the gospel among them. And this also may incite and encourage gentlemen who are incorporated, and entrusted with the care and disposal of those liberal benefactions, which have already been made by pious persons, to that end. And likewise the missionaries themselves, that are or may be employed. And it may be of direction unto both, as to the proper qualifications of missionaries, and the proper measures to be taken in order to their success. One thing, in particular, I would take occasion from the foregoing history to mention and propose to the consideration of such as have the care of providing and sending missionaries among savages. Namely whether it would not ordinarily be best to send two together? It is pretty manifest, that Mr. Brainerd's going, as he did, alone into the howling wilderness, was one great occasion of a prevailing melancholy on his mind. Which was his greatest disadvantage. He spoke much of it himself, when he was here in his dying state. And expressed himself to this purpose, that none could conceive of the disadvantage a missionary in such circumstances was under, by being alone. Especially as it exposed him to discouragement and melancholy and spoke of the wisdom of Christ in sending forth his disciples by two and two and left it as his dying advice to his brother, never to go to Susquehanna, to travel about in that remote wilderness, to preach to the Indians there, as he had often done, without the company of a fellow missionary reflect. Eight one thing more may not be unprofitably observed in the preceding account of Mr. Brainerd. And that is, the special and remarkable disposal of divine providence, 
with regard to the circumstances of his last sickness and death. Though he had been long and firm, his constitution being much broken by his fatigues and hardships, and though he was often brought very low by illness, before he left Conomic, and also while he lived at the forks of Delaware yet his life was preserved, till he had seen that which he had so long and greatly desired and sought, a glorious work of grace among the Indians, and had received the wished-for blessing of God on his labors. Though as it were in death soft, yet he lived to behold the happy fruits of the long-continued travail of his soul and labor of his body, in the wonderful conversion of many of the heathen, and the happy effect of it in the great change of their conversation, with many circumstances which afforded a fair prospect of the continuance of God's blessing upon them. As may appear by what I shall presently further observe. Thus he did not depart, till his eyes had seen God's salvation. Though it was the pleasure of God, that he should be taken off from his labors among the people to whom God had made him a spiritual father, who were so dear to him, and for whose spiritual welfare he was so greatly concerned. Yet this was not before they were well initiated and instructed in the Christian religion, thoroughly weaned from their old heathenish and brutish notions and practices, and all their prejudices and jealousies, which tended to keep their minds unsettled, were fully removed. They were confirmed and fixed in the Christian faith and manners, were formed into a church, had ecclesiastical ordinances and discipline introduced and settled were brought into a good way with respect to the education of children, had a schoolmaster excellently qualified for the business, and had a school set up and established, in good order, among them. They had been well brought off from their former idle, strolling, sottish way of living, had removed from their former scattered, uncertain habitations, and were collected in a town by themselves, on a good piece of land of their own were introduced into the way of living by husbandry, and began to experience the benefits of it, etc. These things were but just brought to pass by his indefatigable application and care, and then he was taken off from his work by illness. If this had been but a little sooner, they would by no means have been so well prepared for such a dispensation. And it probably would have been unspeakably more to the hurt of their spiritual interest, and of the cause of Christianity among them. The time and circumstances of his illness were so ordered, that he had just opportunity to finish his journal, and prepare it for the press. Giving an account of the marvelous display of divine power and grace among the Indians in New Jersey, and at the forks of Delaware. His doing this was of great consequence, and therefore urged upon him by the correspondents, who have honored his journal with a preface. The world being particularly and justly informed of that affair by M. R. Brainerd, before his death, a foundation was thereby laid for a concern in others for that cause, and proper care and measures to be taken for maintaining it after his death, as it has actually proved to be of great influence and benefit in this respect. For it has excited and engaged many in those parts, and also more distant parts of America, to exert themselves for upholding and promoting the good and glorious work, remarkably opening their hearts and hands to that end and not only in America, but in Great Britain where that journal which I have earnestly recommended to my readers has been an occasion of some large benefactions, made for the promoting the interest of Christianity among the Indians. If Mr. Brainerd had been taken ill but a little sooner, he had not been able to complete his journal, and prepare a copy for the press. He was not taken off from the work of the ministry among his people, till his brother was in a capacity and circumstances to succeed him in his care of them who succeeds him in the like spirit and under whose prudent and faithful care his congregation has flourished, and been very happy, since he left them, and probably could not have been so well provided for otherwise. If Mr. Brainerd had been disabled sooner, his brother would by no means have been ready to stand up in his place. Having taken his first degree at college but about that very time that he was seized with his fatal consumption, though in that winter that he lay sick at Mr. Dickinson's in Elizabethtown, he continued for a long time in an extremely low state, so that his life was almost despaired of, and his state was sometimes such that it was hardly expected he would live a day. Yet his life was spared a while longer he lived to see his brother arrived in New Jersey, being come to succeed him in the care of his Indians. And he himself had opportunity to assist in his examination and introduction into his business, and to commit the conduct of his dear people to one whom he well knew and could put confidence in, 
and use freedom with, in giving him particular instructions and charges, and under whose care he could leave his congregation with great cheerfulness. The providence of God was remarkable in so ordering it, that before his death he should take a journey into New England, and go to Boston. Which was, in many respects, a very great and happy consequence to the interest of religion, and especially among his own people. By this means, as before observed, he was brought into acquaintance with many persons of note and influence, ministers and others, belonging both to the town and various parts of the country, and had opportunity, under the best advantages, to bear a testimony for God and true religion, and against those false appearances of it that have proved most pernicious to the interest of Christ's kingdom and the land. And the providence of God is particularly observable in the circumstance of the testimony he there bore for true religion, namely that he there was brought so near the grave, and continued for so long a time on the very brink of eternity. And from time to time, looked on himself, and was looked on by others, as just leaving the world. And that in these circumstances he should be so particularly directed and assisted in his thoughts and views of religion, to distinguish between the true and the false with such clearness and evidence. And that after this he should be unexpectedly and surprisingly restored and strengthened, so far as to be able to converse freely. Then he had an opportunity, in special occasions, to declare the sentiments he had in these, which, to human apprehension, were his dying circumstances. And to bear his testimony concerning the nature of true religion, and concerning the mischievous tendency of its most prevalent counterfeits and false appearances as things he had a special, clear, distinct view of at that time, when he expected in a few minutes to be in eternity. And the certainty and importance of which were then, in a peculiar manner, impressed on his mind. Among the happy consequences of his going to Boston, were those liberal benefactions that had been mentioned, which were made by piously disposed persons, for maintaining and promoting the interest of religion among his people and also the meeting of a number of gentlemen in Boston, of note and ability, to consult upon measures for that purpose, who were excited by their acquaintance and conversation with Mr. Brainerd, and by the account of the great things God had wrought by his ministry, to unite themselves, that by their joint endeavors and contributions they might promote the kingdom of Christ, and the spiritual good of their fellow creatures, among the Indians in New Jersey, and elsewhere. It was also remarkable, that Mr. Brainerd should go to Boston at that time, after the honorable commissioners there, of the corporation in London for propagating the gospel in New England and parts adjacent, had received Dr. Williams's legacy for maintaining two missionaries among the heathen. And at a time when they, having concluded on a mission to the Indians of the Six Nations, so-called, were looking out for fit persons to be employed in that important service. This proved an occasion of their committing to him the affair of finding and recommending suitable persons which has proved a successful means of two persons being found and actually appointed to that business, who seemed to be well qualified for it, and to have their hearts greatly engaged in it, one of which has been solemnly ordained to the work in Boston, and is now gone forth to one of those tribes, who have appeared well disposed to receive him, it being judged not convenient for the other to go till the next spring. By reason of his bodily infirmity these happy consequences of Mr. Brainerd's journey to Boston would have been prevented, in case he had died when he was brought so near to death in New Jersey. Or if, after he came first to Northampton, where he was much at a loss and long deliberating which way to bend his course, he had determined not to go to Boston. The providence of God was observable in his going to Boston at a time when not only the honorable commissioners were seeking missionaries to the Six Nations, but also just after his journal, which gives an account of his labors and success among the Indians, had been received and spread in Boston, whereby his name was known, and the minds of serious people were well prepared to receive his person, and the testimony he there gave for God, to exert themselves for the upholding and promoting the interest of religion in his congregation, and amongst the Indians elsewhere and to regard his judgment concerning the qualifications of missionaries, etc. If he had gone there the fall before, when he had intended to have made his journey into New England, but was prevented by a sudden great increase of his illness, it would not probably have been, in any measure, to so good effect and also if he had not been unexpectedly detained at Boston. For when he went from my house, 
he intended to make but a very short stay there. But divine providence, by his being brought so low there, detained him long. Thereby to make way for the fulfilling its own gracious designs. The providence of God was remarkable in so ordering, that although he was brought so very near the grave in Boston, that it was not in the least expected he would ever come alive out of his chamber. Yet he was wonderfully revived, and preserved several months longer so that he had opportunity to see, and fully to converse with, both his younger brothers before he died, which he greatly desired, and especially to see his brother John, with whom was left the care of his congregation, that he might by him be fully informed of their state, and might leave with him such instructions and directions as were requisite in order to their spiritual welfare, and to send to them his dying charges and counsels. And he had also opportunity, by means of this suspension of his death, to find and recommend a couple of persons fit to be employed as missionaries to the six nations, as had been desired of him. Thus, although it was the pleasure of a sovereign God, that he should be taken away from his congregation, the people that he had begotten through the gospel, who were so dear to him. Yet it was granted him, that before he died he should see them well provided for every way. He saw them provided for, with one to instruct them, and to take care of their souls. His own brother, whom he could confide in. He saw a good foundation laid for the support of the school among them. Those things that before were wanting in order to it, being supplied. He had the prospect of a charitable society being established, of able and well-disposed persons, who seemed to make the spiritual interest of his congregation their own. Whereby he had a comfortable view of their being well provided for, for the future and he had also opportunity to leave all his dying charges with his successor in the pastoral care of his people, and by him to send his dying counsels to them. Thus God granted him to see all things happily settled, or in a hopeful way of being so, before his death, with respect to his dear people. And whereas not only his own congregation, but the souls of the Indians in North America in general, were very dear to him, and he had greatly set his heart on the propagating and extending the kingdom of Christ among them. God was pleased to grant him though not to be the immediate instrument of their instruction and conversion, yet that before his death he should see unexpected extraordinary provision made for this also. And it is remarkable that God not only allowed him to see such provision made for maintaining the interest of religion among his own people and the propagation of it elsewhere, but honored him by making him the means or occasion of it. So that it is very probable, however Mr. Brainer during the last four months of his life, was ordinarily in an extremely weak and low state, very often scarcely able to speak. Yet that he was made the instrument or means of much more good in that space of time, than he would have been if well and in full strength of body. Thus God's power was manifested in his weakness, and the life of Christ was manifested in his mortal flesh. Another thing wherein appears the merciful disposal of providence with respect to his death, was that he did not die in the wilderness among the savages at Conomique, or the forks of Delaware, or at Susquehanna. But in a place where his dying behavior and speeches might be observed and remembered, and some account given of them for the benefit of survivors and also where care might be taken of him in his sickness, and proper honors done him at his death. The providence of God is also worthy of remark in so overruling and ordering the matter, that he did not finally leave absolute orders for the entire suppressing of his private papers. As he had intended and fully resolved, and Sonic that all the importunity of his friends could scarce restrain him from doing it when sick at Boston. And one thing relating to this is peculiarly remarkable, namely that his brother a little before his death should come from the Jerseys unexpected, and bring his diary to him, though he had received no such order. So that he had opportunity of access to these his reserved papers, and for reviewing the same. Without which, it appears, he would at last have ordered them to be wholly suppressed but after this he the more readily yielded to the desires of his friends, and was willing to leave them in their hands to be disposed of as they thought might be most for God's glory. By which means, he being dead, yet speaketh, in these memoirs of his life taken from those private writings whereby it is to be hoped he may still be as it were the instrument of promoting the interest of religion in this world. The advancement of which he so much desired, and hoped would be accomplished after his death. 
If these circumstances of Mr. Brainerd's death be duly considered, I doubt not but they will be acknowledged as a notable instance of God's fatherly care, and covenant faithfulness towards them that are devoted to him, and faithfully serve him while they live. Whereby he never fails nor forsakes them, but is with them living and dying so that whether they live they live to the Lord. Or whether they die, they die to the Lord. And both in life and death they are owned and taken care of as his. Mr. Brainerd himself, as was before observed, was much in taking notice one near his end of the merciful circumstances of his death, and said from time to time, that God had granted him all his desire. I would not conclude my observations on the merciful circumstances of Mr. Brainerd's death, without acknowledging with thankfulness, the gracious dispensation of providence to me and my family in so ordering that he though the ordinary place of his abode was more than two hundred miles distant should be brought to my house, in his last sickness, and should die here. So that we had opportunity for much acquaintance and conversation with him, to show him kindness in such circumstances, to see his dying behavior, to hear his dying speeches, to receive his dying counsels, and to have the benefit of his dying prayers. May God in infinite mercy grant that we may ever retain a proper remembrance of these things, and make a due improvement of the advantages we have had in these respects. The Lord grant also that the foregoing account of Mr. Brainerd's life and death may be for the great spiritual benefit of all that shall read it, and prove a happy means of promoting the revival of true religion. Amen. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan Hard Drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.